Nation Nail Salon and Grocery Store. Wait, she's at the nail salon and the grocery store? I'm at the Combination Nail Salon and Grocery Store. Groceries through Instacart, delivered to my door. I don't have to choose between acrylics and the grocery store. Today's show is brought to you by ExpressVPN. Protect your online activity today and find out how you can get three months free at tryexpressvpn.com slash space. That's tryexpressvpn.com slash space for three months free with a one-year package. Visit tryexpressvpn.com slash space to learn more. 15 seconds. Guidance is internal. 10 sequence start. Space Nuts. 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Space Nuts. Astronauts report it feels good. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a great way to start. Hello <laughs> and welcome to the 100th edition of Space Nuts, and you can hear exactly why we call it Space Nuts. <laughs> <laughs> Joining me as always is Fred Watson from the Australian Astronomical Observatory and our occasional guest, Mandu the Cat, as in Cat Mandu. Hello, Fred. Hi, Hi Andrew. <laughs> I was sure you were going to press the stop button there, but I'm glad you didn't. <laughs> oh, no. I mean, these things happen for a reason. I thought that's just... That's just too perfect for uh, episode 100. And congratulations and happy 100th, Fred. It's hard to believe, isn't it? I thought when it we is. started and, this... and, and happy 100th episode too. <laughs> yes, I know. I'm older than I sound. Um, <laughs> I thought when we started this, we might get five episodes out of it before we lost interest. But, um, yeah, it's a look hard to believe that we've got to 100. Um, yes. And, and but even harder to believe that people are actually listening to to up to a hundred, and they're even writing nice messages yeah. to us, which is even more difficult for me as a journalist to believe. Because usually, when I get a message, it's uh, pretty scathing and below the belt. But uh, it's lovely to get nice emails, yeah, nice emails. Right. And and mm. so um, I send. Um, we both send our greetings to all those uh, people who listen to Space Nuts, especially the one who once who've been sorry, the one who has been with us since episode <laughs> one. <laughs> yes, uh, greetings, Earthlings. Uh, today, Fred, uh, to uh, celebrate or commemorate our 100th episode, we're going to uh, look at myths. Um, we're going to spend uh, a bit of time on things people think they see on Mars. Uh, and, and that has actually spawned some um, science fiction films based on these these myths. Uh, we're going to look at the moon hoax, and there are plenty of them. And Nibiru, this, this supposed planet that we've never seen that is orbiting the opposite side of the sun, I assume at exactly the same rate and pace and opposite position to us, but who knows. Um, anyway, we'll get on to that because that is huge. You put that in your search engine on the internet and it goes absolutely crazy with um with conspiracies and there's site after site dedicated to that planet so we'll look at that but first fred uh things people see on mars and the most obvious is uh the face on mars which led to a um movie i don't know which one it was mission to mars or there was another one uh, released around the same time but they they found the face and it was you know 
the the people who seeded Earth, basically. So, what's going on on Mars that isn't going on, <laughs> basically? It all comes under the heading, um, and this is a lovely word. Uh, the word is pareidolia, um, and pareidolia is our natural tendency as humans to see uh, familiar things in unfamiliar objects or to see familiar shapes, you know, in clouds or. or um, landscapes or whatever we can we can often identify things that we we regard as familiar and so we 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 we, we commonly um, um, you know have this tendency to uh, uh, to, to, to to make that association now Mars is particularly fruitful for the art of pareidolia or the science of pareidolia um, because of course we can't get there we can't just go and walk on Mars and say well this is not actually what you think it is. Uh, although there are rovers on Mars, and that's one of the reasons why um, we've seen so much of this pareidolia in recent years. But you're quite right. The first, I, I suppose, really classic example of pareidolia on Mars was this ancient lava dome, which is in a region of Mars called Sidonia. Uh, it's uh, was imaged back in 1976 by the Viking orbiter, um, and the low sun angle that this structure on Mars, uh, you know, was being illuminated by, gave it all the um, all the characteristics of a face. There's a darkened eye socket on one side. There's a clearly a nose. There's a place where a mouth is, but the other side's all in shadow. And it looks as though it's yeah. a, a face wearing some sort of headdress as well. Very kind of characteristic of the sort of faces that we see in some of the ancient civilizations of the earth, but people have left carvings and things of that sort. Except this thing is, I don't, can't remember, it's a couple of miles across, I think. It's- Oh, is it's, it? Uh, see, in the, in the science it, fiction film, it doesn't look anywhere near that Yeah, I think, it, I think it's, it's probably even bigger than that, thinking about it. It's about the size of your average yeah. spaceship. Really. I think it's, um, yeah, I think it, uh, look, I think it's, um, a couple of miles <laughs> underestimate. I should have checked that, but um, it is. But big. it is. It is basically a trick of the light. That's right. Yeah. And so um, it was such a. Um, uh, I mean, it became such a popular and, and well-known and well, you know, highly believed uh, feature of Mars that when uh, NASA sent one of their subsequent orbit orbiters to Mars actually in the late 90s, uh, this one flew in 1998, or it was in orbit around Mars in 1998, they actually changed its orbital parameters so that one of the first things it photographed was the face on Mars, uh, so flew over the Sidonia region and took images. <clears throat> sure enough, what we got was uh, a, a nice image, at higher resolution than the Viking images, showing basically just a structure uh, it is a lava dome, which gives it some symmetry, but it's got a completely higgledy-piggledy uh, structure on its surface that doesn't look anything like a face. Um, and then they, they did the same thing about three years later in 2001. So we've got this succession of images, starting with a face that ends up with something that looks like a pretty smashed-in face if you're associating with, with that yes. kind of thing. So, yes, the whole Martian face thing was quickly debunked, but... But it's amazing how big an issue that was. Um, you know, the myth that abounded about this was uh, the product of an ancient civilization, a dying civilization. They they set up structures on Mars resembling their, their features. Um, and th then just going on to what we were saying earlier, Andrew, that the fact that we now have 
rovers on Mars, and and perhaps the three that come to mind most readily are Spirit and Opportunity, the two rovers launched back in the early 2000s, and Opportunity, in fact, is still working. Spirit's defunct now. Uh, And the Curiosity rover, which landed on Mars in 2012. So these are capable of really very close-up and high-resolution imaging of features on the surface of Mars. And um, the images that come back, which NASA, of course, make public uh, very quickly, are immediately seized upon by the press um, to say, oh, look, this is such and such, or this is something else. And the one I like best, um, and and this is pareidolia at its best, because this looks exactly like what people are calling it, is a kind of teaspoon on Mars. It's it's a, a vein of harder material, probably a crystalline material, which is in something like sandstone. And the, uh, the, the um, softer rock has been all eroded away, leaving this thing that is just like a spoon. Um, so you've got this long handle, which is what supports, what supports it in the, in the surrounding bedrock with a bowl at the end of it. And it's just a, you know, it's a fluke of the, of the way this vein of harder material has been, uh, um, has been created, but it, it's exactly like a spoon. So that, that, <laughs> the press go mad about the spoon on Mars. Um, yeah, I, I've um, found a photo of it, and it just uh, looks. It, it reminds me of the knife, which you have, the butter knife you have up in uh, the Warren Bungle Ranges, oh, the, near, the bread near your knife. observatory, the bread, the bread knife, knife. Right. yeah, which is just a rock formation. Indeed, um, right. this is this is similar, but it does look like a levitating spoon, doesn't it? <laughs> and it's yeah, so it's it's clearly a fairly fragile structure. You know, if you stood on it, it would just break off at the handle. But um, very interesting stuff. And then another one I liked um, was was the thigh bone, and this is a piece of rock that's sort of just sitting in the sand there that looks a, a, a bit like the thigh bone of a large animal, P- probably not a human, it's a bit short for, for a human thigh bone. Um, that one caught people's imagination. But then the list goes on. Uh, oh, yes. I've got a list here of just a few. Uh, the dark lady, the awesome space crab, uh, <laughs> the jelly donut. This is a good one, the truck wheel. Uh, this truck wheel, it, it kind of looks a bit like a truck wheel as well, but it's clearly not. Uh, the alien figure, the skeleton, the pyramid, they go on and on. Oh, the pyramid, are... yes, I remember, I remember that making the news. Yeah. Right. We, 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 we recently talked about the alien piece of alien spacecraft that they uh, one of the rovers found, which turned out to be probably a a piece of one of our own rocket. It was, it was, uh, that's right. It's a piece of the heat shield that was jettisoned on the way down. Mm. But this has been going on for centuries, Fred. Yeah, I think so. In the late 1800s, they were looking at Mars and they thought it was covered in canals. Yes, that's right. Exactly. They they thought they could see canals. That was... um, um, uh, Schiaparelli was the... um, Or Schiaparelli, his name should be pronounced. He was the, the the person who looked for that, an Italian uh, astronomer. But uh, just going back to the you know things like the spoon and that sort of thing, that they have a name. Those things, rock, look-alike rock features, are called <laughs> mimetoliths or oh. mimetoliths. Uh, it's a word that's not commonly used, but it's a piece of rock that looks like something else. It basically mimics something else. And and the most recent one, Andrew, and this is actually one that's come from. Uh, um, I think uh, Mars Reconnaissance Orbiter imagery of the surface of Mars. And the uh, what, what has been imaged here is what is clearly a pit in the 
uh, in the surface of Mars, an elongated pit. It's about a mile a mile long, or um, uh, one and a half kilometres long. Um, you can tell it's a pit because around it there are craters, and the craters, of course, are always crater shaped. So the way they're being illuminated tells you that what you're looking at is actually a pit in the surface. But to the at first glance it looks like something sticking up and in fact it's got a rather a bullet shape and so the press leapt onto this and called it the alien mothership and i've seen detailed images of this thing which have got um, you know uh, arrows pointing to the panoramic uh, um, uh, control room at the front uh, the propulsion system at the back the communications section in the middle uh, and then uh, you know renditions of what it would have looked like before it crashed others so crash damage and all the rest of it as well so that's the mimitolith um, gone mad uh, it's Yes. Just, you know, I, I guess it keeps somebody happy, but it's the way of, because we've yeah. got, you know, we, we now have uh, we live in a world in which everyone is a journalist or they think they are uh, because of uh, social media. And so these things go viral on social media. And it's not helped by the fact that advertising revenue from uh, from social media is what drives these sites. So the more hits you get. Uh, the better some better off somebody else is. So the more bizarre you can make your story, um, then that is, uh, you know, that's the the, the, the way things uh, work. It, the, the more bizarre you make your story, the better things are. Yes, yeah, it's, it's not just restricted to social media, though. If you look at the stories and the publications, to use that term loosely, uh, that, that uh, put them online and in their papers, uh, a lot of those publications are questionable at the best of times anyway Without so mentioning um, any they don't let the truth get in the way of a good story no, no i'm not mentioning any names no, <laughs> no no i'm a journalist that knows <laughs> not to name names when you don't want to name names <laughs> but yeah it's it's fascinating um you know and and these th this this will keep happening this will yes. just keep happening because yes. uh we 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 are alone essentially and we are looking for telltale signs of uh, some other existence or, or even if it's uh, historical or extinct we want to find it so when we look at things we do exactly what you say we just try and make it into something and at the moment on mars the only things that shouldn't be there yeah, we put right. there and that's <laughs> that's the, the end line. of the story <laughs> mm. until we find evidence to the contrary and so far no but uh, yeah, it's a fascinating um, planet uh, with so much to offer, and um, it, it's yeah keeping us guessing a lot of the time. You're listening to the 100th edition of Space Nuts. Andrew Dunkley here with Fred Watts. Now let's take a little break and find out more about our sponsor, Express VPN, rated number one by Tech Radar. Uh, this is the one I use. I've been using it for a couple of years, and I love it. When I joined Express VPN, they were, they were brand new, uh, new to the market. But uh, I read a lot of reviews and did a lot of comparisons, and there was just something about their their business model that I particularly liked and a couple of years down the track honestly can't complain their interface is very easy to use their their service is second to none uh, I've had to contact them a couple of times about um, certain things that I wanted to do and they were brilliant so you may be wondering why I do need a VPN at all it's all about privacy uh, do you really want big tech companies governments and others knowing uh, what's going on with your online activity, even if you're having nothing to hide. 
it just feels downright creepy. Uh, I think you'll agree. And governments are getting more and more interested in what you're doing every day. And so, yeah, protecting your privacy is what VPN is all about. And how often do you uh, run across websites that you want to get information from only to find that they're geo-blocked? This is becoming an increasing problem, but ExpressVPN solves that problem for you. Uh, now, if you go to our special URL, you'll see quite a list of things this service can help you with, things you may never have thought of before. As I say, it's the one I use, secure, fast, and it just works. Uh, so protect yourself online today and find out more about how to get three months free at tryexpressvpn.com slash space. That's T-R-Y-E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash space for three months free with a one year package. Try expressvpn.com slash space to learn more and you'll find the link details in the show notes and on our website. Now... Back to the show. Zero G and I feel fine. Space nuts. The next hoax that we're going to try and um, dispel is that of the moon hoax or lunar conspiracy, whatever you want to call it. Uh, a lot associated with the Apollo landings. Uh, they've even made TV documentaries to prove that it was all fake. None of it happened. But there are there are so many. There are probably as many hoaxes. Uh, involving the moon as there are uh, Mars, I would imagine, Fred? Yeah, that's certainly true. Um, the, the moon is, um, unlike, you know, black holes and, and in fact, unlike Mars, uh, things at greater distances, the moon is moderately accessible. Um, and indeed, we have accessed it. Although there is, um, there is a, a significant fraction of the population uh, and it varies from country to country, but there's a, sig a significant fraction that believe that we never went to the moon, that humans have never walked on the moon. Mm. And it seems to go back. Uh, remember that the, the lunar landings were between 1969, 1972. Um, the idea that it was uh, a fake goes back probably to a man by the name of Bill Casing, who uh, was born in 1922. Uh, he's no longer with us, sadly, died in 2005, age of 83. Bill was uh, formerly an engineer, but uh, in his later years, he got a job with Rocketdyne, which is the company that made the rocket engines for the Saturn V. And uh, in fact, his job was not engineering. He was a technical writer for Rocketdyne. Um, and he believed that he'd found good reasons why, uh, you know, the engineering of the Saturn V's uh, rocket and its, all its subsystems wouldn't have been able to take people to the moon. Um, it's actually it's funny because engineers are often the ones who propose alternative theories. I often get uh, emails about relativity from engineers because, of course, relativity doesn't follow uh, the normal intuitive way that um, we, we expect things to behave. And engineers are very firmly, uh, you know, of, of a mindset that's about how life behaves. I, I cannot yeah, say this. More rigid, rigid thinking. That's right. Yeah, I can tell this. Um, you know, with with some uh, with some feeling, because half of me is an engineer. My yeah. PhD was on um, basically astronomical technology. You, you uh, must keep yourself awake at night a lot. Oh, I do. <laughs> I worry about these things. 
<laughs> anyway, Bill Casing, um, he became more and more convinced that it hadn't happened. Uh, so he wrote a book um, which was published, I think, in 1975. Um, it was called We Never Went to the Moon. And that's mm. really what set all this off. Uh, the conspiracy became more um, more prominent uh, actually after the turn of the century. I think it was 2001 when Fox News made their, um, you know, they made a, a, basically a documentary called We Never Went to the Moon or Did We Go to the Moon or something like that. And the things that were cited as evidence for the whole lunar excursions, uh, the whole series of them being basically uh, staged on a soundstage somewhere in America. Um, that, 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 uh, that theory seems to be predicated on particularly a couple of things, but other things as well. People, you know, they've highlighted all kinds of reasons why this was clearly a fake. One of them was the fact that with the Apollo 11 uh, flag, the American flag that was planted in the lunar surface, it was seen to be vibrating or flapping. And yeah. people suggested that this was because they were in a, a studio that had fans in it and the wind was blowing the flag. Um, now, that there is footage that shows it flapping, but yes, I've seen it, it. it's because the, uh, the, the, the two astronauts, um, Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin, they both had to try and push this flag into the surface because it was quite, quite a tough surface. Um, mm. And to make it stick, and they were actually twisting it, and it's because it was twisting that uh, that the flag was was actually waving. Uh, you know, it doesn't stop immediately. It's uh, it's something that it's, when you let go of it, it, it keeps on uh, vibrating for a short while. So, um, and, and especially in low in low. Yeah, that's right. Yes, and with no and clearly with no atmosphere. The yeah. um, it's interesting because that's sort of borne out. Um, the fact that they had trouble getting that flag in is probably the reason why, of all the six flags that were planted on the lunar surface, that's the only one that blew over when the uh, when the Apollo um, uh, lunar module, the upper stage of it, returned back to the mothership uh, up, up in orbit, the command module. So the Apollo 11 flag is actually lying flat on the ground. It's not standing. Ah. That's I, I didn't know that. That's, okay. Yeah, that's because they, they, they had trouble getting it in. Uh, and the other thing that is cited very frequently is that, um, you know, it, the lunar daytime, because there's no atmosphere, uh, you should be able to see stars. And uh, indeed, you can see stars, but all the images that we see have got the exposure set so that you reveal the lunar surface rather than the stars beyond. And so yeah. the, the exposures are not long enough to show the stars. There are some exposures, actually. You can hunt around among all the images that came back from the lunar surface, and there are some um, which do show stars in the in the sky. I think they were taken in ultraviolet wavelengths or maybe something, something of that sort, so that you, you see stars, but, but um, everything else is overexposed. So it's that kind of thing that people pointed towards. And I suppose the... Um, the, the, the staggering thing is the way public opinion has, <clears throat> has varied. So, <clears throat> excuse me, the Washington Post did a survey in 1994 that showed that 9% of those surveyed believed that the lunar landings were faked. 6% uh, were unsure about it. Um, five years later, a Gallup poll actually had it, um, well, I suppose fairly similar fairly similar view, 6% uh, of the people polled thought they were faked, uh, and uh, those with no opinion were 5%. But once the Fox Network 
programme had gone out, then the number of people who thought it was faked went up to 20%. Yeah, it's interesting. And that's right. And a similar, about the same time, a, 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 a poll taken in Russia, the Public Opinion Foundation, had 28% of people believed uh, that it was faked. So what what's the answer to this? How how can we prove that um, you know that that humans did walk on on the moon? Um, it's pretty easy these days. Uh, I have always told people that to a scientist, asking a scientist if humans went to the moon is like asking a, a soldier if there was a war in Vietnam or something like that. Yeah. It, because we are immersed in the scientific data that came back from uh, the moon. Um, the, the, there were seismometers left on the lunar surface which uh, record uh, moonquakes, um, which are basically vibrations when, when the um, when the moon's surface is hit by meteorites, um, there there are laser reflectors left on the moon's surface, and that's how we know the distance of the moon to a few centimeters, because we can beam lasers at these things and get the signal back. So all that science, plus the I think it was something like a third of a million images. Uh, plus the you know the, the the testimony and photographs of of uh, twelve uh, men and they all were men. Hopefully there will be women who walk on Mars, uh, but all the men who walked on the moon. It's overwhelming evidence. Um, now too, we have imagery from lunar reconnaissance orbiter. Lunar reconnaissance. I can't say the word. Lunar reconnaissance orbiter <laughs> is. A spacecraft that is still active it's orbiting the moon it's a nasa spacecraft uh, even when it was at its first operational height which if i remember rightly is 50 kilometers above the surface it was able to see the um you know the, the lunar modules sitting on the surface of all all six um of mm. the success i th i think they've since photographed uh, uh apollo 17 mission at uh, the mission site and yeah. you can see where they uh, drove around in the uh, in the, dune, right. in the, the dune buggy the, the, the moon buggy. yeah indeed there's there's um there's imagery of all those things um actually it's fairly easy to find on the web a lovely comparison of a lunar reconnaissance orbiter image of the apollo 17 site with exactly as you've said with the the buggy tracks and footprints and all the rest of it and the lunar module sitting on the surface. That was taken by Lunar Reconnaissance Orbiter in 2011, 2011. Mm. <clears throat> and compare that with a still from the video footage that the astronauts took when they were leaving the moon uh, in 1972. And the two images are absolutely identical, yeah. as you'd expect, because nothing's happened on the moon since then. No, um, I'll, I'll tell you though, uh, when I was a kid and this was all happening, my great grandmother who was still alive at the time, absolutely and steadfastly refused to believe that it was yeah. real. She thought it was just a big advertising stunt. Yeah, my, my I had a great aunt who was basically the same she said mm. uh she, she said, said the same thing um the the bottom line though um well there are two you know the two overwhelming pieces of evidence one is that uh i think it's something like thirty thousand scientists and engineers worked on the apollo missions and you yeah, that's can't... a lot of people to shut up isn't it? that's right and scientists are not good at you know keeping things quiet <clears throat> but the ultimate clincher really uh, and it's a reflection on the political era in which all this took place. The ultimate clincher is the silence of the KGB, uh, the Russian secret police. They would have been the very first 
first of all, to know that things were being faked, but also to, to broadcast it. So the fact that there was no howl of protest from the Soviet Union as it was then is the clinching evidence that it really did happen. Yes, and, yes, yeah. indeed. And and you, you, you're darn right, given the space race as it was in those days, any any opportunity to debunk it would have been taken. And they, yeah, you're right, they didn't do it. Um, the moon's always been captivating. Uh, and I cite a um, story that was advertised in 1835 where they publicised uh, the fact that the moon was covered in uh, bison, goats, unicorn, uh, beavers, bat-like winged humanoids. And they published this in an article and they took everyone down hook, line and sinker. Um, it was believed beyond reasonable doubt that yeah. the moon had living creatures on it of that ilk. Um, and elk. I suppose that kind of, or elk, <laughs> I think that probably kind of got people in the wrong mindset from a very early period. Maybe so, maybe that's Yeah, right. um, and it was, uh, yeah, and we've we've been trying to debunk ourselves ever ever since but um yeah the the moonshots were real uh everything we've done since is real the only thing that hasn't been and uh, they've proved beyond reasonable doubt that this was fake was the capricorn one mission which uh was a movie they were sending people to mars and found out the life support wasn't going to last so they faked the entire mission in a in a tv studio great movie <laughs> but i'm pretty sure it was based on the moon conspiracy yes it would be moon hoax. Right. yeah <clears throat> you're listening to space nuts uh, andrew dunkley here and fred watson space nuts last but not least in episode 100 of space nuts uh, debunking myths we're going to uh, hone in on uh, one of the more popular myths, uh, particularly on the internet, that of the planet Nibiru, which a lot of people are convinced exists, but we've never seen it. It's on the opposite side of the sun. It's always in the opposite position to Earth, some theories believe. Uh, and yet there are so many people think that this is real, Fred. That's correct. And if you go on the web... Uh, I have, and it just... <laughs> <laughs> you put the word in there and you just go, the list is, I think it's longer than porn, uh, of all these, all these sites dedicated to the planet Nibiru. So you can, I was going to say, you can even find pictures of it, uh, which is pretty good considering it doesn't exist. Uh, but um, let me tell, the, the, the most common picture that purports to be Nibiru is of a sort of, well, it's a, something that looks like a red star with a sort of brownish halo around it uh, and a few other stars in the, in the image. Um, this is a very well-known image made with the Hubble telescope, but it doesn't show Nibiru. It shows an object called V838 Monocerotis, uh, and that is a variable star. That's why it's called V. Uh, it's actually the 838th variable star in the constellation of Monoceros, the unicorn. Um, and what you're seeing is, in fact, the light echo around it. This thing has outbursts of light, which uh, light up the dust cloud around it, and we see those... Um, you know, after the star itself has settled down because the light is taking a dogleg path to get to Earth. There you are. A quick, a quick lecture on light echoes thrown into Nibiru. It is not. Oh, I, Nibiru. I can, I can just, dis, I can dispel one myth automatically. Apparently, we were supposed to 
uh, based on our time right now, have been destroyed by Nibiru three days yes, ago. Yes, that, that's right. And and I think uh, several years earlier, I think we've we've mm. been threatened with destruction several times. Uh, so yeah. and any picture that you see of a, of a sort of slightly vaguely hairy-looking brown thing with a red star at the middle <laughs> is actually not Nibiru. Um, the the other thing that staggers me about the stuff on the web is some of it looks so professionally done. Uh, it's clearly done by organisations that have somehow got a vested interest in peddling this myth, and you know some very nice video simulations of orbits and things of that sort, all of which is completely fictitious. So where does the Nibiru story come from? It apparently goes back to 1995. Uh, and uh, a, a woman in Wisconsin, in America, her name is Nancy Leader. She runs a website which is called Zeta Talk, and that website, uh, I think, is really where the origin of this story uh, uh, comes from. Uh, apparently, the Zeta Talk website, if you read it, you find that uh, when she was a girl, Nancy Leader received an implant in her brain from extraterrestrials from Zeta. Reticuli, which is a star. Sorry, so where was that again? You just dropped out a little. Oh, sorry about that. So she, when she was a girl, she received an implant in her brain from extraterrestrials uh, who came from a, a star called Zeta Reticuli. Now, okay. uh, Zeta is a star. Uh, it's a star in the constellation of uh, Reticulus, the, the, the square. Uh, it is ridiculous. Yeah, that's ridiculous, that's right. Maybe that's where it comes from. But apparently because of this implant, she's been talking to these people, uh, these extraterrestrials, ever since. And so Zeta Talk is her website where she communicates what she's learned from the extraterrestrials, as you would do if you had something like yeah, that. You know. Absolutely. But um, anyway, um, th there is a picture of Nancy on the web. She looks very homely and very pleasant, um, but um, you don't see any evidence of a, an implant. However, the name itself... Uh, doesn't come from Nancy. She apparently called her version of Nibiru Planet X, which is a pretty yes. good name, really. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, there's been lots of Planet Xs. Um, I think at one stage Pluto was a Planet X as well. Uh, the name itself uh, actually harks back to the work of an Azerbaijani-American author whose name was Zechariah Sitchin. Uh, Zechariah uh, is also no longer with us. Uh, born in 1920, died in 2010. But he he was an author who wrote kind of, I don't know what you might call it, factual science fiction, uh, something that seemed to have its feet, you know, um, feet in reality, but was actually fictional. And he postulated the existence of a planet that had an orbital period of 3,600 years, an intelligent inhabitant. So this is a planet going around the sun uh, with this very, very long uh, uh, period and a very uh, elongated orbit. So it's got uh, an orbit that at its, you know, a, a lot of the time it's way, way away from the sun, but uh, periodically comes in uh, to the inner solar system, a bit like the orbits of comets. We know comets behave like that. 
Which would make it unlivable. Uh, it would, yeah, that's right. You'd have such mm. variations in, uh, you, you, you know, in, in climate and things of that sort that, yeah, unlivable. Uh, but despite that, he postulated the existence of intelligent inhabitants uh, who may or may not threaten us, whatever, uh, and uh, postulated the name Nibiru. So uh, th this whole legend or myth seems to be a jumble of two different ideas. And I have to say, Andrew, that um, and th this is in many ways where our science, astronomy and space science, leaves, it, leaves itself wide open to the conspiracy theorists because we always admit what we don't know. Uh, you know, we're, mm. we're, we, we say, well, we don't know about this. We, we've got inferences about this, that and the other, but we don't know. And um, one of the things that hasn't helped with the Nibiru story is Planet Nine. I was about yeah. to bring that up. I told you I had a question and we did talk about Planet Nine last yep. year. And it has been making the news on and off for a little while now because there is a common belief that there may well be a Planet Nine and mathematically yes. could uh, exist. So, yeah, that kind of messes the whole debunking thing <laughs> That's up a bit. right. But it's definitely not Nibiru. Um, so Planet Nine, just no. to recap, uh, is something that's been postulated uh, again, a long way from you know from uh, the sun, but a, a planet of the solar system, um, probably, if I remember rightly, a couple of hundred times further away uh, than the, than the Earth is from the sun. Um, so you know, maybe ten times further than Neptune, which would make it very faint and very difficult to observe. And the reason why it's been mm. suggested is because when we look at the orbits of what are called trans-Neptunian objects, these, these icy asteroids way out beyond the orbit of Neptune, um, those orbits kind of line up in an in a unusual way. And it's those alignments that suggest that they're being gravitationally disturbed by something relatively massive uh, out at of this very great distance. So a um, number of astronomers in the US have postulated that, and indeed there is work going on to try and find Planet Nine. Um, however, however, it's not Nibiru. <laughs> if we if we do have evidence of a planet nine because of the um, orbital disturbances and gravitational pull that, that seems to exist, would not the same effect be detectable with supposedly Nibiru? Well, that, yes. I mean, the the thing what's happened it's no, nowhere near as as cogent as that, Andrew. That the Nibiru story oh. has got completely you know, tied up with the Planet Nine story. Nibiru is supposed to hide behind the sun. That's the theory, as you mentioned yes. at the beginning. Now, orbital mechanics simply do not allow that to happen. Um, gravitational forces disturb things in ways that are very predictable, and um, we, we understand all that stuff. There was a lovely quote from uh, Brian Cox, um, which um, I'll proceed with a, a slight language warning here. Um, he says, <laughs> if anybody else asks me about Nibiru, the imaginary bullshit planet, I will slap them around their irrational heads with Newton's Principia. And that's delivered with an accent very similar to Brian's because he came from Oldham, which is just <laughs> over the border from Yorkshire where I lived. <laughs> so, yeah, Brian, Brian's got fed up about, of answering questions about Nibiru. I don't <laughs> blame him. To be honest, yeah. I don't blame him. But uh, it, it goes on and on and on, Fred. And, and, and I, I don't think that um, 
our attempt to debunk it today is going to make it go away as much as yeah, we'd that's like right. it to. Um, I, I'm sure you're right. There are people who know far better than we do about things like this, Andrew. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yes, yes. Um, but, you know, um, who knows what the next big myth will be? There's, there's always going to be one. Uh, whenever you're sort of boldly going where no one's gone before and finding things unusual, you're going to also find people writing weird and wonderful stories of exactly and you know if we if we astronomers were not highly upstanding ethical people we could have a ball because there's so much in astronomy you know that yeah i I refer to the uh, story previously that was published about all the unicorns and exactly we could we could have a ball um Mm. Uh, but we refrain from doing that <laughs> mainly because we're yes, upstanding yes, ethical people plus we can't see any way of making money out of it <laughs> <laughs> uh, and that brings back those questionable Indeed. publications exactly. I mentioned earlier as well <laughs> hmm. well we might wrap it up there Fred but it's been a lot of fun uh, looking at some of these things and, and look we've only scratched the surface I'm sorry to say in regard to uh, some of the myths and legends of uh, of the universe um, but uh, we hope you enjoyed it and um, happy Thank 100, you very much. Fred. Yeah, thank and, you. Um, I look forward to the next hundred. <laughs> yes, or we might do one more. Um, <laughs> we'll, catch, we'll catch you next Take time, care. Fred. Thank you. Fred Watson from the Australian Astronomical Observatory, and that winds up our 100th edition of Space Nuts. Thank you for listening. Thank you for following us. Uh, We're getting a lot of great emails and messages and questions. We're going to try and get to them all. Um, A couple of new ones came in uh, just in the last few days, which are uh, very, very good questions, which we plan to tackle. Uh, in a year or two um, but and uh, we also say thank you to Mandu the cat for making a, um, a special appearance in episode 100 and we look forward to catching up with you next time on Space Nuts you've been listening to the Space Nuts podcast subscribe to the full podcast on iTunes, Audioboom and Stitcher or your favourite podcast distributor This has been another quality podcast production from Tights.com.